0: You're listening to Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast hosted by Brandon Apter and Jesse Larch. Part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com. Garbage Garbage into gold. Welcome into "Garbage into Gold," a Sixers podcast. My name is Brandon Apter. I'm one of your hosts, joined by my co-host, who is definitely social distancing himself from me uh, in completely different states. That is Mr. Jesse Larch. Jesse, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. You know that's the usual arrangement with us. I never really want to be too close to you, so yeah. You know this works out great for us.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, don't even have to worry about social distancing much at all. So, um just just really like a few things to talk about. You know, it's been a little over a week since we had our last episode, which came out just uh moments really after the NBA decided to suspend its season. Uh and now, you know, as of now, March eighteenth, we're probably not gonna have an NBA game for at least another two and a half, three months. As to what it looks like, but you know, we're a week removed from sports, you know, major league baseball, national hockey league, major league soccer, uh, pretty much all suspended or, or canceled, uh, their, their seasons for, for now. So it's been, you know, a l- little bit of time without sports. So Jesse, how, how have you been coping over the last week, uh, without our Sixers?
1: I've watched a lot of thirty for thirties. Um, I've been on WWE Network more than I usually am, just trying to get any semblance of sport back into my life. I've kind of reignited my NFL draft research that I did a lot of at the end of the season, but didn't do for the last month or so. You know, so I'm still trying to stay connected with the sports world, but there's very little to grab onto right now.
0: Yeah. And and for you, what's what's work been like for you? I know for me, you know, working at a university down here in Georgia, it was kind of a fluid situation. Still, kind of is a fluid situation. Well, not really. Um, at my university, they've suspended classes for a couple of days, and then believe it's either today or tomorrow that they're starting online learning, and there's going to be virtual, like, remote learning for the remainder of their semester. You know, they postponed graduations, which has pretty much been a thing across the United States, but now day three working from home and, um, you know, are already experiencing a little bit of cabin fever for sure. But what is, what has work like been for you? I know you and I were texting back and forth a little bit over the last couple of days, but it's sounds like it's been a little crazy.
1: Yeah. So I'm in the retail space and this is definitely the wrong time to be in that. Um, just, I mean, business had picked up regardless, like, when reports first started surfacing of the disease being in China and Europe. And, like, once it got stateside, and really once Adam Silver canceled the NBA, then, like, it's been lines all the way throughout the store every single day. And people are just, like, losing their minds. And it's kind of, like, really absurd to me. Um. And even like more so, it's, you know, I, it's kind of hilarious how the government and I, I understand why, but the government and, and everything else being like, well, you know, everything is a grocery store. It's like grocery stores are the dirtiest places regardless. Like not saying that your grocery store isn't sanitary or your, the people there don't keep it clean. But as far as like schools and grocery stores are probably the two worst places that go if you're trying to not get sick yeah. just because of the masses of humanity that pass through there and like that has been the case tenfold the last few weeks to the point where like i'm sure i'm going to come out of this with some type of illness like usually i'm not bothered by illnesses unless it's like a sinus infection um other than that though like i'm definitely going to end up with at least a cold or something out of this just from the amount of people that i have to come into contact with daily because of people losing their minds
0: yeah, I mean it's certainly been an experience. I know, you know this is really the first time I've experienced any anything like this. You know, we've seen comparisons as to like what's going to be the new normal. Uh you know, a lot of people are saying like there's probably not going to be as big a change like we've seen since like September 11th, 2001, you know, when you used to be able to walk up to the gate with whoever you were with and, and just hang out there until the plane took off and now after that, we have increased security and everything like that. And now, obviously, this isn't necessarily anything close to the same, you know, situation comparably as to what happened. But um, you know, what is going to be the new normal after this is is certainly interesting to think about. Because I'm sitting here, you know, they suspended, saying I could work remotely for a couple of weeks and now the president says that uh, it could go into july or august and you're seeing all of these other countries just pretty much on lockdown uh for 5 or 6 weeks so it's just kind of crazy to to think about all of the different outcomes that can happen from from this whole thing and uh you know it's it's a bit of a shame to see some people not taking it seriously at all but You know, circling back to the thing at the grocery stores, yeah, I mean, especially the paper products, you know, I know at this point, more or less every supermarket is limiting the items. I was in our Kroger this morning and they had just gotten paper products back in and there were people already grabbing them out of the boxes that weren't, you know, unboxed. There was one of the stock workers was putting them on the shelves and people were grabbing them out of the boxes, you know, with no regard for human life. So, you know, I feel... I feel bad for the people that have to deal with the craziness, you know, that work at, at like the supermarkets and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I was just able to find like a pound of ground Turkey, like a day ago, like there's no produce that, I mean, there's no like meat really anywhere around here unless you get to the supermarket at the right time at like eight or nine in the morning.
1: I can tell you from like being on the inside, even then it's not early enough because like i've been you know so like i'm generally in charge of produce i've been ordering 800 cases of items and they send me like 300 of those like there's actually like industry shortage going around and really like they just can't keep up, they just can't keep up with demand and it's you know i feel like at some point like people need to run out of money or need to have stockpiled enough stuff to stay inside for a little while yeah so you know hopefully when i go back into work
0: yeah I don't really know how much more there is to say, but yeah, that that stuff's insane, and and it's um, yeah, it's not really that hard to to stay in your house unless you desperately need to go outside. Uh, I mean, take a walk, obviously, get some exercise and stuff like that. But outside of that, going to bars and restaurants, unless it's for takeout or delivery, just seems, you know, I don't like reckless at this point. At this point, you're not helping anybody. But, um, yeah, I know me specifically stocked up good over the weekend to the point where we don't need to like go to the grocery store for meat for hopefully like a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, the people that may not have stocked up to this point might not be great. Um, now you mentioned it when we first started talking about this and I know that we have a couple of other things to get to, but really the only kind of sport sports entertainment that we have right now is wwe and i know at this point you know wrestlemania is being played at their performance not being played being uh you know it'll take place at their performance center in orlando florida their raw smackdown nxt and aew are all uh you know doing their weekly events without fans i've gotten to see bits and pieces of this but uh, have you gotten to watch any of that and is the product any better or is it just good to kind of be able to have some semblance of competition to watch real time
1: so i'm looking forward to watching AEW tonight to see what they do just because um you know NXT has already kind of been doing it for a week or two now and even if they haven't been raw and smackdown have been going from an audienceless studio So WWE has a bit more experience already with this format and AEW tends to do a bit of a different product regardless anyway. So I'm curious to see how they do it. Raw on Monday, I did tune in just because it was 316 day and WWE filled about an hour, hour and a half of their TV time just by re-airing the Royal Rumble from this year, Right. which I don't think is a bad choice because honestly, I thought that was one of the best Royal Rumbles I've ever seen from like a booking standpoint and an entertainment standpoint. Um, you know, they had edge cut a promo. If you've been following the Randy Orton feud. Yeah. And it was honestly, it like made the promo feel bigger that there was no audience reacting and that it was edge talking to just a camera. Yeah. Um, so that was a little viral. Of Stone Cold Steve Austin telling the crowd to give him a hell yeah, and then they cut to empty chairs. <laughs> yeah. You know, which, you know, they're having fun with it, which is always good. I'm very sure WrestleMania is gonna go down just because, like, you know, the Orton and Edge matches, I think a last man standing match now, and it's gonna be like, are you gonna be able to hear what they're saying and things like that?
0: Yeah.
1: Iron uh, Lesnar is gonna have a much different feel without a crowd erupting when McIntyre becomes the guy. Like you're gonna miss out on the WrestleMania moments, I feel like, but I also feel like to the same token, it's gonna to be memorable in a different way. Yeah. And if if the ring works there, I think it'll still come through. Like I think Edge and Randy Orton are gonna have a really captivating match, but is it gonna take a hit from there being no crowd? Yeah. And it's really kind of the same argument you would have made if the NBA was still playing with no crowds. You yeah. know, would the games have even been watchable? And that's kind of what we're waiting to see. Um, You know, it's a really weird time. It's a victim of circumstance. And, you know, if you've ever been a WWE fan, you know Vince McMahon does not cancel shows for anything. So you knew they would find some way to still be on TV in this time. And really, you have to be kind of grateful they are. Because, like you said, it is the only thing on TV sports-related right now.
0: Yeah, and you have to, Um, like, be mindful of that it could It could, that could change any day, you know, one of the performers gets, gets the virus and, and, you know, you got to shut things down pretty much.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting though. I think it's going to be something that people will look back on, you know, probably a couple of years from now, or maybe as soon as it ends at, you know, how TV and how entertainment changed and what, how people adapted and things like that. It's definitely going to be a fun thing to study in the future.
0: Yeah. So getting into a little bit more of the Sixers stuff, and you know, over the, the last week or so, really the only thing to talk about aside from this virus has been this and, and this is Jimmy Butler being on the JJ Reddick podcast. <clears throat> you know, before we get into that, uh Jesse, you mentioned before we recorded that the Six the Sixers team has been tested for the virus because Christian Wood of the Pistons tested positive and the Sixers played them uh last Wednesday night on the final night of the NBA could be you know, the final night of the 2019-20 season who knows uh so the Sixers are, are have been tested no no indication as to what the results are at this point we know four Brooklyn Nets players including Kevin Durant uh tested positive has got better but a- around around the country and around the world so um to to the Jimmy and JJ thing and And there's certainly a lot to to unpack here, but you know going going into like the first topic as as, as far as culture goes in in Philadelphia and with the philadelphia seventy sixers and I think you know Brett Brown has always been a couple of years ago. Uh, became one of those things where players did presentations on something that they were passionate about, and they were just a close-knit group. But, you know, with all this changeover we've had over the last couple of years, whether it be with Brian Colangelo to Brett Brown to to Elton Brand to to the roster turnover, really, it's hard to to establish a culture when you have so much change going on. So, you know, culture was a, a really big discussion point when Jimmy Butler got here. It's been a a point since he left, you know, during this season, since the new additions at the trade deadline. So there are a couple of things here that we're going to talk about, but there were a pair of film sessions really that stuck out in this. And this is a a quote from a, from this uh, podcast with JJ and Jimmy. Uh, And this was at a film session before the reported film session in uh portland where you know brett or uh jimmy reportedly challenged brett brett's offense and stuff like that so um jimmy said it was before the West Coast trip and we're all sitting in there and nothing got accomplished at all. And I told you as this, as we walked out, I was like, J.J., why would I ever go back in there again? Nothing's getting accomplished. Nobody is saying nothing to anybody. We're just sitting in here watching film and you can literally hear the thing just clicking. We're all just looking around. You got to think I may have been there two or three weeks top. Top. So Jimmy didn't really say much then. And then you have the Portland film session, which they talked about, which Jimmy and J.J. claim that Jimmy spoke up and made T.J. McConnell uh, speak his mind about them wanting to want run more pick and rolls. But essentially, it seems like nobody was really talking. It was a room of Breton coaches saying, OK, I've heard we should run more pick and rolls. Who feels this way? And nobody spoke up. So with regard to these film sessions, what was your thoughts on on his comments to this and kind of how it relates to the culture that we've that we saw last year and this year, really? Well,
1: as soon as he said that, my first thought was back to the quotes earlier this year that Josh Richardson was the guy that had to stand up and be vocal and Al Horford kind of publicly stating that the locker room has no real direction or leadership. You know, and that's immediately what I thought of is, you know, well, this has gone back to last year. And if not for, you know, I haven't been the biggest defender of Jimmy Butler, really wanted him back as much as some did. But hearing this, like it's clear he was kind of a big reason the team was able to do what they did last season. And I'm not sure if it falls on, you know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's shoulders as much. I mean, I think it does partially. Partially. Um, I think it's more alarming that Brett Brown's running a film session and not teaching anything, and I think that also stuck out like a sore thumb. Where how can like exactly how Jimmy Butler stated it? Why would I go back in there? You know, what's the point of having the film session if nothing's being highlighted and you're just making them watch videos and moving forward? Um, and if if that is how it was conducted, the way Jimmy Butler stated it was then that is just incredibly damning and kind of reinforces the notions that Brett doesn't know how to adjust and doesn't know how to, you know, really make changes and run offenses and design plays to win games and things like that. You know, we've seen so many scenarios where Brett Brown kind of runs the same offenses to death. And and what Jimmy Butler's saying here kind of reinforces all of that.
0: Yeah, and it becomes one of those thought processes too, where you look at Jimmy Butler's past, you know, he was with Tom Thibodeau for a while and he's a guy that, you know, more or less put his foot down. I assume let everybody know what their role was going to be. And, you know, even though he ran guys into the ground, you know, he, Jimmy Butler has said on numerous occasions that Thibodeau is, is his, one of his guys. And so, um, you know, Jimmy came into his tenure with the Sixers not knowing who was in charge and there not being a vocal leader on the Sixers, which I guess for me begs the question of, you know, leadership in general. You have J.J. and Jimmy, guys that have been in the league for quite some time now. And given Jimmy had only been there two or three weeks, J.J. had been there a couple years already. But it's kind of baffling to me that neither guy spoke up. Like, they're looking at Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to to speak up, which is fine. But at the same time, if you look back at Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's like early careers, they haven't necessarily had a ton of veteran leaders to help mold them into leaders. They're just kind of going about leadership in their in their own way. And I think that's you know why we saw Tobias Harris get um, signed instead of Jimmy, and why Al Horford got signed you know other than the play on the floor it's one of those things where vocal leadership is clearly an issue here and Simmons and Joel Embiid to be the leaders you know I'm starting to wonder if we should question that and obviously there's that question of you know at this point after hearing this from Jimmy Butler do they need a new voice to help you know light the fire under them with regard to leadership and on-court play or, or not and I think I'm definitely leaning in the way of, of wanting change now. And I hadn't been like that for a while. I mean,
1: this season had made me go that way. And, you know, I know we've said on this podcast plenty of times that me and Brandon are Brett Brown fans and, you know, we've been behind him throughout the process to now, but this season has really worn me thin on Brett and really quickly because the team has just totally missed all of their expectations they have never seemed to grow together. They've never seemed to really adjust. And, you know, for a team whose window is quickly going to shut, if they don't have the right people in place, I think Brett does need to go. And, I mean, you know, unless the the NBA resumes and the playoffs come back and the Sixers go on an incredible run and win it all, yeah. I if I was Josh Harris, there wouldn't be too much making me save Brett Brown right now.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I agree with you on that. And that, that kind of rolls into Jimmy talking about there being an issue with roles on the team and, and, and really how the organization ran and it sheds a lot of light onto what is sounds pretty believable from him because we've always kind of questioned the Sixers front office, you know, from Colangelo's draft picking to uh, Elton brand sending Landry Shamit and too many first round picks for Tobias Harris Uh, you know, all of that kind of thing. So it's clear that, you know, Brett had a time where he was the GM for a, a little while, and then they hired Elton Brand, who had no previous general manager experience in the NBA. Sure had good relationships in the NBA, but still one of those things where the structure doesn't necessarily look like a structure. That quote from Jimmy really solidifies the questionable leadership in the upper parts of the front office. So JJ asked Jimmy uh, if last year was difficult for him getting traded, you know, what happened in the summer. And Jimmy said, hell yeah, it was difficult. It was so different. And on any given day, me as a person, as a player, I didn't know what the fuck, who the fuck was in charge. I think that was my biggest thing. I didn't know what the fuck to expect when I would go in the gym, when I would go on to the game. I was like, man, I think I was lost as... I was as lost as the next motherfucker. Pardon my language for those who are offended. Um, And, and, you know, this speaks to a little bit of what we talked about before. The Sixers have plenty of, have had plenty of guys speak up about not knowing their roles, whether it be Jimmy Butler, Glenn Robinson, Al Horford, you know, Josh Richardson stepping into a leadership role that could have been Ben Simmons or not only a Brett Brown problem, but really a lack of who is the leader, when it comes to this organization, because you have a GM with less experience than, you know, the, you know, assistant GMs or senior VPs of player operations. So I would imagine that there's not, not a power struggle when it comes to that. But I mean, it seems, it seems all believable. And again, Jimmy Butler is painting himself out to be the good guy for a lot of this stuff, but it kind of, again, cements a lot of the stuff that we were wondering.
1: Yeah, and like I said, the whole situation just feels, you know, it's like, how did we get here? Because we thought when Brian Colangelo left, everything would be fixed, and really, it seems like Brian Colangelo may have been running a better ship, you know, regardless of the bad draft picks and bad trades he made. It feels like, you know, he had a better grip on what he was doing than the current team, and... You know, it hurts to say because of how much we all dislike Brian Colangelo, but, you know, maybe experience speaks volumes. And, you know, part of it, I do think part of it is probably on Elton Brand. I think a lot of this has to fall on Brett Brown, you know, for not being able to maintain his room. And where we thought he was doing an incredible job at that. Turns out he had a bunch of guys who didn't know better. And once he had guys in there that did, they were happy to leave.
0: Yeah. It's almost like just assuming the guys should know where they should be. Like, sure, sure, you're going to draw plays and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe he at one point he said that he doesn't like to call plays. So maybe that rolls over to the film room and the practice like the players watching should be enough for them to know what's wrong. And I don't believe that should be the way that things are going. Or do I know? Or if that's actually happening, but it's certainly um, one of those things that I think about with this whole thing that maybe he thinks that they should be smart enough and intelligent enough to what to know what they need to do in order to fix it. But we clearly have not seen that to this point.
1: Yeah, and that's been, you know, we wanted to start calling more plays. It's like, why weren't you already like what's what are you doing as the coach? I understand Ben Simmons is a great talent, but like it's your job to see the game from the sideline and see what's happening to your team and be able to make the calls to adjust in-game to lead to victory. And it's really starting to feel like Brett Brown's been a very laissez-faire, hands-off style of coach and that he expects the talent to win regardless of what he's doing on the sideline, which, I mean, I didn't think he was that guy because when we had TJ McConnell and Dario Saric and Robert Covington, he was developing those guys and we saw those guys making strides in their game. And really we haven't seen that since we've come out of the dark days of the process.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, when it, when it comes to like vocal leadership and I know I talked about this a little bit earlier Um. you know, Jimmy at some point said that he didn't want to be controlled. He's a grown man and everything like that. This going back to the film session too, but do you think it's an issue or who 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 would you point the finger out with regard to vocal leadership especially because jimmy and jj are veterans and jj i guess i always looked at as a guy that was a veteran leader so for not knowing roles and talking about needing the vocal leader for two guys that have been in the league for a while. Do you find that surprising that, that they didn't take it upon themselves? Like it's equally them to blame as, as you know, Simmons and Embiid for not speaking up.
1: Yeah. And I think it's really surprising because, you know, we all praise JJ Reddick for his ability to lead. And we know Jimmy Butler had his style of leadership and for none of it to really rub off, or for none of the younger guys to feel like it's their team two. I think that's a major problem. And it sounds like that's carried over into this season when you look at the things I said at the beginning about Josh Richardson being the one getting vocal in the locker room or you know, Al Horford saying that people feel like they can't say anything. You know, it's like I don't know if that's institutional or if that's coming from Brett Brown and Elton Brand and Josh Harris that the players can't speak up or if it's just a lack of a willingness to from guys like Embiid and Simmons, who you expect to be speaking up, you know, and honestly thinking about it, it even takes me back to like Markel Fultz. And, you know, as much as the fan base wanted Fultz to succeed, maybe the team did do more than we thought to fail him. And maybe he has a story to tell too, because we kind of dismissed all of the stuff going on with Markel, you know? And I mean, there was certainly things going on with Markel that was out of the team's control. Yeah. But you know, maybe they're maybe the Sixers didn't do as much as we gave them credit for doing, and we kind of blindly gave them credit for that. You know, and I'm wondering how many more instances there are like that, because Jimmy Butler and J.J. Reddick saying this, like, they have no reason to bury the Sixers, and I don't think they intended to bury the Sixers with anything they said. No. I, it felt like a very genuine conversation. It didn't feel like anything was being made up. It just felt like two guys talking, and I don't think there was any ill will or any type of agenda when they began that discussion. yeah. But I think them saying it and them being two guys that have been in multiple teams and multiple coaches, multiple organizations, they have a perspective that's very valuable. And if I was the Sixers, I would have listened to that and I would be looking at making changes.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the changes that Brett Brown did make in the playoffs last year was the decision to make – uh, Jimmy Butler, more of the primary ball ball handler, even with Ben Simmons on the floor from time to time. Uh, you know, um, it, it was like a couple of years ago when they've played the Celtics and Ben Simmons was neutralized. So they needed to bring in McConnell to kind of spark plug and, and run the offense a little bit differently. So in switching the ball to Jimmy's hand, you know, the team was a little bit successful or a, a lot, a lot more successful. I'm not really sure. I, I can't remember exactly specific situations but I I felt a lot more comfortable with Jimmy having the ball in the fourth quarter than Ben and in the playoffs last year Uh, but Jimmy's comments on on that abruptly changing was uh, to this day I don't think that was fair to switch to switch over like that even though I think we played great basketball like that I don't think it was fair because the entire year Ben had the ball so you mean to tell me in one playoff series you just switch it up like that I would be like he was, I would feel some type of way. I would feel like that it's fucked up to play an entire one year an entire way one year and then boom, this is how we're going to do it. I used to tell Brett, "Quote, I think we should mix in me handling the ball a little bit." He said, "Nah, we do A to B, the motion offense. We do this." I I would be pissed, and I'm not going to complain about it, but I don't think this was the best play of doing it. Now there's a lot here. Um that makes Jimmy look good, but also contradicts some things that he said before. So I do agree that they could have worked it in uh, prior to the end of the regular season, because you acquire players and you should find ways to work to their strengths. And you mentioned this in our last episode or one of the last episodes that Brett has, has kind of a chip Kelly esque way about himself in that instead of changing his scheme to match the strengths of his players he puts the players in his scheme and hopes that it works so it was no no surprise that jimmy butler succeeded in more pick and rolls and so you you get to the point where they weren't doing that and you should have adjusted to do that and and then you put the ball in in jimmy's hands in, in the playoffs after after Ben was neutralized by the Toronto Raptors, more or less. So Jimmy didn't complain, because I think he got what he wanted. But I also don't blame Brett here, because if Ben Simmons wasn't working, you can't just stay with it and hope it works, just because, like, it's the playoffs, you have to make adjustments, and that's the one time he made an adjustment.
1: Yeah, and it uh, it kind of reminds me of... Like our preseason episode where we were filled with so much optimism, and the reason for the optimism is we're sitting there putting all these lineups in our heads and all these styles the team could play. We're talking about different kinds of bully ball, how they can go in and out, how they can use their size to their advantage. And then the season started, and the Sixers just played the same style. We watched them play with JJ Redick and Robert Covington and Dario Saric in the lineup. Yeah, and you know that's I think kind of what you're saying there. When especially that's kind of what I meant to. Kind of also what I meant when I made the Chip Kelly comparison is that regardless of who's on the floor, Brett's going to run his offense and what he likes to do. And, you know, you heard him, you just heard the thing Jimmy said there where he said, even when I had the ball, he said, we run this kind of offense. We do this. Yeah, It's like, there's no reason to be that stuck in your ways, especially in a league like the NBA where things do change from game to game. And this season in particular, when you saw teams switch to a zone to really isolate the Sixers' lack of spacing and things like that, you know, and the fact that this is supposed to be an NBA coach, a guy that worked under Greg Popovich, and he just can't figure these things out, like, I mean, I can't believe how much of a 180 I've pulled on Brett Brown, but it's just honestly so, so
0: frustrating. Are we to now keep a pro-fire Brett Brown podcast?
1: I don't know if we want to label the podcast that way, but I think I'm certainly leaning that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the gosh, I was going to say something, but I forgot what it was. So, yeah, I mean, the next thing that I had was. Um, You know, JJ and Jimmy talking about when they knew they were leaving Philly. And JJ said that he was essentially told that he was going to be the last resort. You know, he kind of knew going into free agency that there was probably not a great chance that he was going to be re signed because they were trying to sign Tobias, you know, um, Jimmy Butler. Oh, I just remembered what I was going to say before. I, I do think the whole. Uh, Brett Brown, Chip Kelly thing works a lot in the fact of like Al Horford, you know, you, instead of adjusting to how Al Horford plays, you immediately place him next to Joel Embiid, which sure they, they were going to have to do because of the money that they gave him. But, and I've said it many times before in previous episodes, but trying to turn Al Horford into a stretch four is just a ridiculous concept. Like, it's one of those things where you think about it and you're just like, oh, it could work, but then you look at it for a couple of games on the floor and you're just like, no, this cannot work. And it's just one of those things where during the season, Brett kept saying, I want him to keep shooting threes. And it's just like, I bang my head against the wall looking to do that. I know there's that saying that shooters shoot, but Al Horford should not be a shooter. Shooters shouldn't shoot in that situation.
1: No, and it's the kind of thing again, like I said, where, we had all these situations in our head. Like there are ways to make a regular face up four work with a five. Like there's histories of offenses in the NBA where that's always worked. And Brett just doesn't think to run those plays or that style of team. Like, don't get me wrong. Al Harford and Joel Embiid are not the greatest fit, but like there's been plenty of instances in history. And even in the modern NBA where a four and a five have coexisted very well together.
0: Yeah, I think Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins looked good for a little while doing it.
1: Yeah, and you can even think of like all the great fours in history and things like that, you know, and like it's not impossible. It's it's really, it's not even rocket science. Like there's so much that has already been done in the league that you can just steal from because really any league is a copycat league. Yeah like it's not hard to find these answers. It's just that he refuses to put them in the place.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it was as simple as looking back on even the earlier process days with trying to pair Nerlands and jaw and jaw and Embiid, you know, for me, it's just one of the, the league is just moving in a way where it's more played with pace than it is with size. And I get trying to stop the speed with the size, but uh, you know, we've seen that work less than, than we've wanted it to, but Um, yeah, going, going back to, to Jimmy and and JJ, uh, talking about why they were leaving Philly, uh, Jimmy Butler's talked about that. And he asked JJ if he believed that he was hard to work with, you know, JJ chuckled for a little bit, uh, before Jimmy gave his answer. Um, so Jimmy said, somebody told me a main reason I didn't go back was because somebody asked, can you control him? The fact that you're trying to control a grown man, nah, I'm drastically fucking stupidly crazy. If that's what y'all worried about, good luck to y'all. And I think one of the things that got mixed in here was, um, I think there was something missing from that quote, but I can't remember exactly what it was. But I mean, it seems, seems pretty good. You know, it's one of those things where, I don't, I don't know who, who to believe here. You know, I, I certainly believe like that sounds like something somebody would say, because we've seen Jimmy Butler's uh, history and how he left Minnesota, how he left Chicago, you know, how he left Philadelphia. He seems to be just fine in Miami for now, but I, there there's a way of structuring your team and, and, and scheming to your players without controlling them. So, you know, it's concerning again to, to look at the front office and, and the coaching staff. I'm not sure who or if this was said, but but to say that's the reason that he didn't come back. I feel like he wouldn't make that up if it was just like a money issue, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is just for the past in my head. It sounds like something that a stakeholder such as an owner would say.
0: Yeah, I could see Josh yeah. Harris saying that.
1: And that's my first thought. Maybe even I don't know. Maybe Ben Simmons says it. I don't think that's something Brett or Elton would have said. Um, especially Elton being a former player and a player from a bit more of a rougher era. I don't think that would make much sense. So I'm not sure where it came from. I'm not sure how he heard it or who he heard it from. You know, It could have just been a case of miscommunication for all we know, but At the same time, I do agree with him that if this is a team that's concerned about, you know, maybe a personality that can be abrasive, which I think Jimmy Butler's time in Philly was not abrasive at all. Um, And really, I don't even think he was that bad in Minnesota. I think Minnesota had its own culture issues that Jimmy Butler kind of exposed and we see where Minnesota is at now. You know, post Jimmy Butler, and they've really kind of failed to become anything, even with all the talent and draft picks they've had. Um, and I think that comes down to the attitude of their players, and which apply that to the Sixers. You know, again, is is Brett is uh, Ben Simmons too passive? Is Joel Embiid, you know, not dialed in enough? Like all these questions we asked all year, I think, kind of become magnified because you had a Jimmy Butler who was going to fill a leadership role, whether you wanted him to or not. And he was going to come in and demand a lot out of the team. not even demand a lot, just demand the team work. Demand, you know, I don't think he did anything unreasonable is all I'm trying to say in fewer words. You know, I think he's a guy that he, he can be abrasive. He has expectations and expects you to meet them. And if, You know, the Sixers weren't meeting them and he wasn't afraid to say something. If someone on the team or someone in management had a problem with that, then that is an organizational issue. That is not a Jimmy Butler issue. Because he didn't have he didn't have any blow ups like the issue in Minnesota. And even the issue in Minnesota, I personally had no problem with. You know, I thought that was like that's the kind of thing that people would praise Kobe or Michael Jordan for doing. And I'm not saying Jimmy Butler's their their level of talent. But as far as competitiveness and leadership, that's the exact kind of thing Jordan and Kobe would do to their teammates. True. And so in that sense, like I have no problem with Jimmy Butler as a person or a leader or as a competitor. And if someone in the Sixers organization does, I would view them as a problem before him.
0: Yeah. And you know, it, uh, it, I mean, even going deeper into a lot of the stuff that he said, you know, we talked about Brett Brown not adjusting the scheme to the strength of his players, and, and you look at some of the players that he worked with, and sure, he's developed some, but we see Ben Simmons not really, you know, he, he, Ben Simmons before he got hurt, I just want to say this, that he was playing extremely well, but we've seen Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid um, not progress as much as we want them to offensively because they they haven't added skills to their repertoire less mb than simmons because mb can shoot the 3 you know passing out of double teams and, and and stuff like that is is the next step but for ben simmons you know we've seen the same offensive player for the the better part of his young career so far so it's it's almost looking at this team and being like like coach like like uh like player because a lot of the players are not necessarily adjusting what they're doing they're just kind of doing what they're doing without trying to adjust to the new roster around them and again that's not necessarily even a thing that they have to do it's a thing that a coach and coaching staff should have to adjust so it's it's such a deep it's such a deep thing and it goes deep deep
1: <laughs> yeah i mean I've, i'm just at the point where i want like an innovative offensive mind in here And I know it's on the agenda, but Jimmy talks about Eric Spolster and how Eric Spolster commands the room. And I would love to see that because I think last year, maybe even earlier this year, the team was like going to the media, like pumped up saying like, yeah, Brett showed some fire in the locker room today. I think it might've been when Jimmy Butler was here last season, but the team responded in that game and the game's following. And it's like, so if you had a coach who was that, was a Spolster type who, wasn't afraid to coach his team, which is what it sounds like Brett Brown is. You know, like, the team responded when Brett Brown got on them last year, and, you know, he he said he was swearing at at them and, you know, like, talking down to them almost, but the team responded and played great basketball and woke up after that. And I feel like that's not Brett Brown, and maybe a team of young men that haven't learned how to exist in the NBA yet and haven't learned how to be leaders – and haven't learned how to work on their own and hit their potential and wake up for every game which are all issues the Sixers have they probably need a coach who's going to come in and do that for them and push them to that level and I think it's beyond clear now that Brett Brown isn't that guy
0: Yeah Yep, Uh, yeah I agree with you I think, you know, need that need a new voice, I don't know who that's going to be and we'll sure have a lot of time to think about potential Brett Brown replacements in the coming